In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day, and we ask you, O Lord, for your mercy and your blessing. Strengthen us, O Lord, your people, and be with all of your people in every place. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, good evening, everybody. Um, God willing, today we're going to continue um, our Bible study. Uh, last time we studied Genesis chapter 19, uh, where we spoke about the destruction of the city of Sodom and the escape of Lot and his family from the city uh, and um, you know all the details related to that story and how well, we spoke about how Lot and his family had like an attachment um, to the place, which is what made it difficult for them to escape and to accept the terms of the escape going to the mountains um, and how God in the end showed that the place that he asked them to go was the best place for them. Um, so that was chapter 19. Um, God willing, today we're going to study uh, chapter 20 and chapter 21. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. <clears throat> and Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And this is a very similar story to what we've read before. This is different. Um, and Abimelech, uh, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, you slay a righteous nation also? Uh, will you slay a, light, a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. And the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Um, so at, at, at this point in the story, um, Abraham had left uh, his, the place where he was living. So Abraham was living um, by, it says, the terebinth trees of Mamre. That's where it said that he was living. And then after the incident that happened with Lot um, and then the rescuing uh, of Lot and Abraham seeing the, the destruction of the city of Sodom, um, at, at some point after this, he left this area uh, where he was living and he moved south, right? And he moved south to this area that's called Gerar. And when he moved to this place, there was another king, right? And this king, Abimelech, um, and like we mentioned before, Abimelech is like a title. It means the father of the king. It's not necessarily like the name of a person. Um, he uh, sees Abraham and Sarah, and as happened before, um, uh, Abraham, Abraham lies and he says that Sarah is his sister. 
and um, she is taken uh, to be the wife of uh, the king, okay? And so we ask ourselves, like, um, Abraham really didn't learn the lesson from before because this is exactly the same kind of setup of what happened before. Um, God, in this case, did not allow uh, the king to sin with her or to take her as his wife. And so, um, but, but God reveals, God reveals to him what is it that is happening so that he can release her, okay? And so this man, Abimelech, um, he was a Philistine, uh, but even though he was a pagan, but he had many good qualities. Like he, he, he it shows that he had integrity and honesty. Um, and actually it was Abraham and Sarah who are to be blamed. Okay, so here God had mercy on, on this person who had good intentions in his heart. And on top of that, we see another example of intercession. So he says here in verse seven uh, that Abraham will pray for you, Abimelech, and you shall live. Right. So he's again showing that Abraham like has this special status, that Abraham is an intercessor and prays on behalf of the people. Right. He has this blessing. His prayers are heard by God. He prays on behalf of the people. This is why he, he says, Abraham will pray for you. He's like establishing again and again in the eyes of the people that Abraham has this special chosen status as being um, a, a chosen one, that he is the one whom God has made the covenant. He is the one who is to be the father of many nations, which when we said um, Abraham's name changed from Abram to Abraham, because Abraham means father of nations. So he's again and again, like emphasizing this uh, rank that Abraham has, that even in this case, when Abimelech did not commit any sin, but he said to Abraham that, that he should pray for Abimelech so that Abimelech will be restored and he will um, not have any calamity fall upon him. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? Have I offended you that you brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will kill me on account of my wife. Abraham's reason for why he lied is he thought to himself, well, this place does not fear God. It is a pagan place. And that when he comes here, these, you know, sinful, wicked people can do anything. So he did. He was afraid for his own life that they would, as before, that they would take his wife and they would kill him. Okay. But by saying that Sarah is his sister, then they would leave Abraham alone, just as before. But Abraham acted too quickly and judged these people too quickly because these people were actually very reasonable people. They were not immoral or wicked people. And Abimelech was not wicked. And actually, we see how Abimelech responded very reasonably and rationally. And actually, Abraham was the one to be, um, you know, to be criticized here for, for what he did. He lied. And he prejudged these people into thinking that they were uh, wicked people and that they would harm him if he simply spoke the truth. So he goes on and he says, but indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house, 
that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever you go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham. And he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, see, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah, he said, behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus, she was rebuked. So Abimelech, he honors Abraham. Okay. Although Abraham didn't do anything like to be honored, but he was honored simply because of who he was, that his status as being the chosen one of God. Okay. Um, his honor is because of his identity as a patriarch chosen by God, not because the deeds that Abraham did were to be uh, lauded or to be praised. Okay. Um, here, God is teaching Abraham and Sarah a lesson that even through these pagan people, okay, that they criticized and judged, that they are the ones that are being rebuked by them. So Abraham is coming here, and he thinks that he is like more righteous than the people, okay? Uh, and yet, uh, these people are the ones that rebuke Abraham, okay? And, and uh, when he says what... Um, uh, in verse 16 when it says behold i have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver indeed this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody thus she was rebuked okay so it's like he's even paying money uh you know to like you know make up for the fact that they like took her and so on so um a humble person, what do we learn from this? A humble person is able to receive rebuke from anyone. You know, sometimes parents, for instance, they we receive rebukes from our children, that we hear from them a criticism about our action and our behavior. And sometimes we become defensive and we don't want to accept it. Or a person might receive rebuke from anyone of any status, okay? A humble person like Abraham, for instance, would be able to receive uh, this rebuke because he was, in fact, wrong. He, he did wrong. And so when we receive rebuke, we receive it from any source. It reminds me of King David, who was um, rebuked and insulted uh, by this man whose name was Shimi. And even though King David actually hadn't done anything wrong, King David took this rebuke and took this insult that he was receiving as though it was coming from the voice of God that he would to, 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 he said, God wants me to hear this. Maybe God wants me to be humbled by hearing this. Okay. And so sometimes when we also are rebuked or criticized, whether it is justified, in which case we should take it seriously, regardless of what the source is, or whether it is unjustified, we should look at it from the perspective of uh, God is humbling me. God wants me to be humble, that even if I do not deserve this rebuke, that I am being humbled by it. And I should remember that God is allowing this to keep me in check so that I do not become exalted in myself. Okay? And this is, um, you know, I think something that we learn here about the situation and from what Abraham did. We also learn that Abraham, though being, you know, such a blessed man and a righteous man is not without flaw, is not, is not without mistake. And that's one of the things about the Bible 
is the Bible does not just record the good things that people do, even the righteous people, but it records also the bad things. It gives us a balanced perspective of reality, of, of the true nature of people, so that when we read it, we can relate to the people that are, is, are being discussed. It doesn't try to portray these heroes as superheroes that are you know, without any kind of weakness and do not commit any sin. Right. We see very clearly what their sins are and what their weaknesses are. And this helps us to relate to them and in our own lives. So Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female servants. Then they bore children for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So um, this kind of a curse that came upon the, the, the people there in Gerar. Um, when uh, Abimelech took Sarah to be his own wife. Um, so Abraham, he prayed for them, and now um, this curse was lifted, okay? So uh, pretty straightforward chapter, chapter 20, um, that, that we read, okay? And this next chapter is one of the most important chapters because this is a chapter where Isaac is born. So we've been waiting now for quite some time for the birth of Isaac, this promised child. And here, finally, uh, we, we read about the coming of this child, the birth of the child. So it says, And the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Okay. So everything that God had said from the beginning came to pass, even though it took time, even though it was not the way that they expected, even though it took turns, you know, like at, at first they thought that Ishmael, the son of Hagar was going to be the one. Right. And they had kind of uh, manipulated the situation in order to get uh, a, a son through Hagar instead of through Sarah, because they believed that Sarah was barren, and so she could not bear any children. Um, and so the, the, from the time of the promise till the time of actually receiving the child, there was many years. Actually, at this point in time, Ishmael is 14 years old, right? So at the time where they thought that the right approach, the right way to be able to procreate was through Hagar, that was 14 years ago. And so the, the amount of time that they had to wait for God to honor his promise, for them to see the end of their faith, for, for, for the, the way that God wanted it to be done, to be revealed, and the, the, like the fruition of the promise, they had to wait a very long time. And sometimes we want God to act very quickly. Um, and we believe that the quicker that God acts, the better it will be for us. And God doesn't necessarily see it this way. God had some, you know, wisdom in choosing the time. Why this specific time? You know, he wanted to show how much the birth of Isaac was a miraculous birth. You know, it, it, it reminds us of um, the story of uh, Elijah uh, and the 70 priests of Baal, right? El Elijah was to prove to these pagans that uh, God is the true God. And so he made this kind of uh, competition, if you want to call it, where there was going to be two sacrifices set up. One sacrifice was going to be offered to God and one sacrifice would be offered to Baal, okay, the pagan God. 
and whichever one the fire from heaven came down and consumed the sacrifice, that was going to be the proof of who the true God was. And before uh, Elijah um, offered the sacrifice, he told them to pour water on the wood so that the whole thing would be drenched in water and there would be absolutely no way it could ever catch on fire through any other means other than through the miraculous way when God sends fire down from heaven. So a lot of times God wants to wait for something to be completely helpless and hopeless and impossible. And then it is only then when something is impossible that he chooses to act. Why? Because that's the only way that we're going to recognize that the action that happened, the thing that happened was beyond human means and beyond human comprehension, right? That is when God is the most glorified. And here certainly waiting this many years to the point where both Abraham and, uh, and Sarah are so, so old for them to have a child. This is the time where God would be the most glorified and that people would look at this and say, Abraham is truly chosen. There is truly a covenant between God and Abraham. Isaac is truly the son that was promised, right? Whereas Ishmael was the product of human intervention. Ishmael was the, the, the result of human planning, thinking to ourselves, there is no way that we can have a child on our own. So we must take steps to help God with the plan. We, we have to help him. We can't just let him take care of it. We have to do something to help him, even though that's not what he had, had said. But that's what made logical sense to them. It got them the answer they wanted sooner because they had Ishmael immediately as opposed to having to wait for the 14 years. But it wasn't what God had planned or prepared. It wasn't the one through whom that God wanted to fulfill his promise. So here we see after this amount of time, God has fulfilled the promise. And it, it reminds us how often we have to wait, right? In order for God to reveal his, his you know, the, the, the outcome of his promises to do for us what he has promised to, to, to maybe save us from a trial, to help us through some difficult challenge, why? Because this is the way that God works. We don't understand his timing. We don't understand his way, right? But in the end, his way is the best way. Okay, so everything that God promised actually came to pass. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. So as before, when God revealed the covenant and he said there would be a sign for Abraham, that there would be a covenant between him and God, that every male child of eight days would be circumcised. So Abraham responded in obedience here, and he circumcised his son, just as God had commanded. Um, sometimes when we receive from God the kind of answer to our prayers, when we receive from God many blessings, sometimes instead of responding in obedience, we respond by taking things from grant for granted and actually beginning to forget about God, unfortunately, you know, uh, think about maybe times in our life where, um, where we were, there were things that we were, we were lacking and we felt like we really wanted them and we didn't have them. And maybe things that people around us had that we didn't have and that we prayed to God for an answer to our prayers. And then eventually God provided and he gave what it is that we were asking for. Don't we still sometimes, even after waiting for something for so long, begin to take it for granted? Don't we sometimes forget that this thing that we received is actually from God, 
when we forget that God is the one who is behind all of the blessings that we receive and we begin to forget him, we begin to kind of be slack in our prayers or going to church or, you know, doing things that we know we should be doing and showing our gratitude toward God. And instead, we just focus on our own life, the things that we want and so on. Here, Abraham definitely did not take Isaac for granted. Another reason why God might delay in giving us the things that we ask for is so that when we receive them, we will certainly receive them with great gratitude and thanksgiving. Abraham immediately responded in obedience and he circumcised Isaac the way that God had told him um, to do. Now, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Uh, so we read about Sarah before and how Sarah laughed. When she heard the idea of her giving birth to a son, it said that she laughed. And actually, when God told her that she would have a child, he told her that she would name him Isaac. And the name Isaac means to laugh. Okay. Here we see her laughing again, not laughing, you know, in any kind of a doubt, but laughing in joy, right? God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. Like it is a joyful season, a joyful time that this prayer that Sarah and Abraham had all along is being answered and that they are joyful that their son is being born to them. Okay. So she's expressing joy here. And it, it again, it links this event with the name oftentimes in the old testament especially the names of certain characters is is linked and related to um, some event related to their life something about their character something about their purpose something about their origin something and here we see the name isaac is related to the idea that he was a joy when he was born to his parents who um, did not believe that they could have children so the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. Okay. So it says that Sarah saw the son of Hagar scoffing, right? Ishmael. Ishmael, for 13 years, they believed that he was the chosen son. He is the one who had a special privilege, right? He was the only son. He was the one to receive all the blessings after Abraham. He was the heir. He was the one who in every way had this special status. And actually, Abraham loved, you know, Ishmael. So for Ishmael to realize now, to endure now, that he is kind of set aside, that he is not the one that was chosen, that all of these promises are now going to be through Isaac and not through uh, him, is difficult. It's very difficult for him to accept something like that. And so he was like offended and he was upset, right? And now he sees Abraham is making a great feast for his son. There was jealousy. And there was anger about all that that was happening, okay? Um, and so when Sarah sees this happening, 
and she sees that there is going to be like this competition and this anger against Isaac. Okay, she tells Abraham to cast away this bondwoman, Hagar, and her son. Now, for, Hag for uh, Sarah, it's very easy for her to say this because Sarah doesn't have really any close, uh, you know, emotional attachment to either Hagar or to Ishmael, okay? And from the very beginning, even at the time when Ishmael was born, uh, Sarah began to feel upset at, at this birth because, you know, Hagar is the mother, okay? Um, this uh, event here and the relationship between Hagar and Sarah is actually symbolic of something deeper than just at the surface level of what is happening, okay? And we read about this in the book of Galatians and St. Paul is writing about what is the example of Hagar and what is the example of Sarah and what does it mean? What does it symbolize? Okay. So in Galatians 4, this is what St. Paul says. It says, but he who was of the bondwoman, okay, which is Ishmael, was born according to the flesh. Why born according to the flesh? Because Hagar was not barren. And so Ishmael was born in the normal way. He did not have a miraculous birth. He was born in the normal way. So it is symbolizing that Ishmael was born according to the flesh, a natural birth, right? A natural son. And he of the free woman through the promise. So the free woman is Sarah. And the one who was born of Sarah is Isaac. And he was born through the promise, meaning he was not born in the natural way. His birth is a miraculous birth. He was the chosen son of promise, the one who was promised. So the, the birth of Ishmael is of the flesh and the birth of uh, Isaac is through the promise. Okay. Which things are symbolic? This is what he's saying. For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. So he's saying that this birth of the flesh, right, uh, from Hagar to Ishmael is symbolizing like the, the covenant of the law, which is the Old Testament covenant, okay? This Old Testament covenant could not save because when God gave the covenant he, he, and he gave the law and he asked his people to obey the law, it was impossible for us to obey the law because we were sinners, right? So the law and the the... the the demands of the law, the burden of obeying the law for us was impossible for us to obey, right? This is why Christ came and was incarnate because we could not obey the law, right? We were unable to obey the law. So, so this is why falling into sin, okay, we became lost and perished, right? So in order to save us from the requirements of the law, in order to save us that despite the fact that we are sinners and despite the fact that we disobey the, the law, that God wants to heal us and he wants to restore us, right? He wants to save us. This is why now he made the covenant of the New Testament, okay? So it says, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, right? This is where Moses received the, the Ten Commandments, the law, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children, Okay, but the Jerusalem above or the heavenly Jerusalem is free, which is the mother of all. Okay, so the heavenly Jerusalem here is is like corresponding to the, the covenant of the New Testament, which is the covenant of salvation, 
right, that Christ gave to us, which is reminding us that we are like the children of promise, okay? We are the chosen ones of God through baptism. We are the chosen ones of God, born according to the promise, not born according to the flesh. So here he's, he's not talking about like whether you're, you know, of one ethnicity or another. He's speaking about those who accept to be baptized, to become the children of God in the New Testament. Those are the ones who are the children of promise. Those are the ones for whom that we have this covenant with God. Okay. Whereas, uh, and this is symbolized by, by uh, Isaac, born of the free woman, Sarah, as a child of promise. Whereas uh, Hagar and Ishmael, this is the Old Testament covenant, okay, which, which is, is bondage because she was a bondwoman and that anyone born of the bondwoman is in bondage, right? So when we are um, speak about this Old Testament covenant, is it, a, is it a covenant that doesn't lead to freedom, but it leads actually to the bondage to the law, okay? So here we have uh, uh, Hagar and Ishmael that um, Sarah wants to cast them out. So it says, and the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. This was his son, and he didn't want him to be cast out, and he felt very sorrowful at this idea of casting him out. Even though he wasn't the child of promise, he was still his son. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called, yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. Okay, so God actually tells Abraham, do not be upset, but allow them to go. Okay, um, because God is going to give, to make a nation, okay, out of Ishmael. Okay, he's going to make a nation out of Ishmael. God comforted here Abraham and promised to make him into this mighty nation. So he said, don't, don't feel like he has to stay with you. He doesn't have to stay with you. Okay. And the reason that God is going to make him a mighty nation is because he is the seed of Abraham. Because he is born of Abraham and Abraham is the one to whom God made the covenant. So this is why Ishmael will also have be a mighty nation. They will not be the chosen nation. They will not be the people of God, but they will be a mighty nation coming through the loins of, of Abraham. Okay, so God is telling him, go ahead and let him go, just as Sarah has said. So Abraham rose early in the morning uh, and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it uh, and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Okay, um, so Abraham, oh, sorry. And the water in the skin was used up and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. And arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. 
Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Okay, so God continued to uh, be with them and to protect them. Okay, and, and to make him into a nation and to be with him in his life. Okay, he, as we mentioned before, Ishmael became the ancestor of all of the Arabic people, all the Arabs um, that were to come later. And that he, uh, in, in Genesis 25, I believe it mentions um, the, a list of some of his sons that become princes uh, in, in this kingdom. Okay, so he, he becomes uh, a mighty nation. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Picol, the commander of the army, spoke to, uh, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. So who is speaking now? Okay, this is the same Abimelech that we read about back in chapter 20. Okay, so Abimelech, who is a king, right, in that region, he sees now that um, Abraham is becoming like mighty. He has a lot of people with him and he is gaining a lot of influence and he is strong and God is with him. Okay, so Abimelech seeing this, he and his commander, Picol, uh, or Picol, um, he goes to Abraham and he speaks to him and he tells him, look, God is with you, okay? So swear to me that you will deal well with me and with my offspring, okay? Um, and that you will, you know, in, in, in everything and everyone that I have, okay? Why is he coming to say this to him now? So, um uh, he, he's asking here Abraham to show favor to him. And so Abraham responds and he says, um, I will swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water, which Abimelech's servants had seized. So there was like in that area, a well that belonged to Abraham, but Abimelech had taken that well from him. Okay. So he's rebuking him. So even though Abraham is accepting this kind of covenant and promise to make with Abimelech, but he is reminding Abimelech here that uh, Abimelech had taken this well of water, okay? And so Abimelech says, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So he was unaware of it, and he didn't know that this had happened. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant and Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Um, so here now, Abraham is like making this covenant by exchanging gifts. Okay. So Abraham is taking this sheep and oxen and he's making a covenant with uh, Abimelech. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, you will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore, he called that place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. 
Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Bikol, the commander of the army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. So Abraham makes an oath. So essentially he wants to identify, okay, that this uh, well that he made uh, is, is his own, okay? So it says here in um, verse uh, 30, it says, and he said, you will take these seven ewe lands from my hand that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called the place Beersheba, okay? So the, the name Beersheba is made up of two words. The first is beer, okay? Beer means well. Actually, this is the same as the Arabic word for well, okay? And Sheba means seven, okay? But in Hebrew, the name for the word oath is the same as the number seven, that seven represents oath. So, so here, the, the number seven is why it's called Beersheba, because Abraham gave these seven lambs to Abimelech, okay, as to show and be evidence that this is the well that uh, Abraham had built, and it belongs to him. So in exchange for it, he's going to give these seven lambs to Abimelech, and he's going to name it Beersheba, meaning the, the, the well of seven or the well of oath, okay? And this number seven appears in other places as well, okay? Uh, in terms of like making an oath. For instance, there's uh, the six days of creation and the seventh is the Sabbath, okay? It's like represents this, uh, the number seven, meaning it's like an oath, okay? Um, and so in, in, in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, this idea of seven and oath is like interchangeable with one another, okay? So here Abraham is doing this. <clears throat> then Abraham planted a teramisk tree in Beersheba and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines uh, many days. Okay. So in these two chapters, uh, we spoke about uh, the incident with Abraham and Sarah. Okay. Lying about their relationship again, just as it had happened before. Okay, the first time it happened in Egypt, the second time it happened with somebody named Abimelech. Okay, again, so this is something that is uh, repeated often. Okay, this idea of, of the same situation, and um, uh, then in chapter twenty-one we have the birth of Isaac, and who is the birth the the child of promise, and that after he is born he is circumcised. And then he is um, confirmed as being the one whom God has chosen. Um, and then we have here the oath that Abimelech uh, makes with Abraham about the well. Okay. Does anyone have any questions before we conclude? We finished kind of early today. Okay. Glory be to God forever. Amen. Let's just conclude in a prayer and then we can start the fellowship time. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessing and your goodness, O Lord, to be upon us. Strengthen us, all your people in every place, and guard us and protect us from sin and temptation. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints. 
Hear us as we pray. Thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless all of you.